0: Okay, so um, I guess we'll start off where we left off yesterday. And I think it's, it's important because so much of Hungary has to do with things that are relevant today in terms of Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, non-religious, semi-religious, and, and understanding that it, it really was a stage for a lot of things that happen now. Someone asked me something now, Ms. Mench asked me now something, which was, it's relevant today also, and I think it's important to understand the dynamics of it. So the 1700s was an age where um, people began the an age of reason, rejection of uh, authority, church authority, um, consolidation of governments in the way we understand it today, and therefore, and a lot of ambivalence about church power, Jewish rabbinical power, and things of that nature. So, yeah, two things happening at the same time: the government wants more and more a sense of control of the communities and at least they want integration you have the people beginning to start sort of thinking on their own and dealing with things on their own and in hungary you have a very um, unknowledgeable uh, laity who just whatever rabbis tell them and so on and so forth from the end of the 18th century, from the end of the 1700s till the beginning of the 1800s, in Germany, you begin to have uh, a uh, a temple changes in in some some small changes, some radical changes in the in the different um, in the schools, and there's a sort of a creeping reformation happening. This is going on and on, and then you have. In the 1840s, you have a, in 1844, you have a conference in Germany, a series of conferences called, uh, uh, Braunschweig was one of the more famous ones, where Reform rabbis got together and decided what to chuck out. There were a lot of suggestions, ranging from Briss Mila, Shabbos to Sunday, um, tossing out mentions of Yerushalayim and Tchir Sameisim. Everything was up for grabs. The Orthodox community in Hungary was very slow to respond. Now, um, the person, the historian that I feel most comfortable with in terms of his material, is somebody called Rabbi Kaseel Yehuda Greenwald. Greenwald. He was born sort of 1880, died about 1950. He was a rabbi in Columbus, Ohio, eventually for many years. Very Haredi person. He, he was a, but he was a very travelled person. He was in the army, in the Hungarian army. He used to go around town to town, checking, re, you know, registries, um, uh, 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 gravestones, communal records. He had that type of personality when interested him. He he wrote dozens and dozens of different works on different kufis in Hungary, and some earlier. It's footnoted, source material. And uh, so, so it's, it's, it's really, it, it's, it has historical basis. He gives his own take on certain things, and you know, you can you can do as you wish, but of all the people I've seen that speaks about these things, he really was, um, seemed to be very balanced based on facts, and he has criticisms on everybody, So, which I guess makes him either impartial or very impartial. <laughs> I'm not sure if, that, if that's a, 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 a Milo historian, but he, he is like that. So, the, the, the rabbis were really slow in recognizing it. They basically felt what it needs as a conference of rabbis. They had a conference in 1844, they talked a lot, they, 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 they yelled at each other, they stormed in and out of the conference, they left with a whole bunch of, um, they left with a bunch of, uh, I guess, psockim at the end of the conference, that from now on, we decide who should be rabbanim, and we'll and, and everybody needs to ask us their questions and so on and so forth it, it basically was a conference that accomplished nothing by all records it accomplished nothing um, and it, it really was was too little too late and so on the um, the really big step came the government in those days you couldn't just organize um, a religion you know, in America, for instance, which is the, the extreme example, if you want to organize the religion of moongazers, so all it requires is just incorporating papers, and, and you're the moongazer society, and it doesn't bother anybody. In Europe, governments were, were, were wary of having all sorts of societies. You had so many things going on. You couldn't just have everybody open up a stiebel. The government needed to deal with the with community. It was, it, it, in terms of what was allowed to do, could you make a shul? You could not make a shul as a recognized religion. Um, in different places, it was relevant as to, could you make an own school system? Would the could, 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 lobbying to the government, the government wanted to have a united Jewish communal representation to deal with. And in 1860s, late 1860s, the government of of, of, uh, of uh, Austria, Hungary, or which was really Austria was the seat of it. Franz Josef had the Jewish community meet. The reformed or the neologues outvoted the Orthodox to start with, that that's how the groups are set up. There was a lot of storming and I, at the beginning, they tried to organize the communal structure not to deal with religion. In other words, it's a communal organization that deals with everything but religion. But there were too many, for instance, schooling. What does it mean you make schools? Who decides who teaches, what they teach, and so on? So the Orthodox insisted on six words. Everything that's decided must meet the criteria of Shul Ha'arach. And the, the neologues refused, the Orthodox stormed out, and the organization that represented the jury to the Austro-Hungarian government, was non-religious, and that was the Jewish communal. They petitioned to Franz Josef. Franz Josef was the Austrian em- emperor. He also was considered, he, in, in Jewish lore, he's a friend of the Jews, he was a positive person, and after two years of hassling him and lobbying, he agreed to have the Orthodox community recognized as a separate community. And thus was born the Orthodox community. Now, bear in mind, Reb Shamsha hirsch tried to do the same in Germany, and his own community did not go along with him when he was living, and he died pretty heartbroken that his own Orthodox community would not support the the Aus- the leaving of the general communities. There were a lot of reasons for it because it meant you had to have your own graveyards. You wouldn't be buried with the, with, with parents and grandparents. There were a lot of practical implications of it. So by 1870, it was 1872. Purim, Shoshan Purim 1872. Franz Josef um, allowed the formation of the Orthodox Jewish community, which was the recognized as representing Orthodox Jewry, and it was considered a neis, a Purim nais. That is 1872, and it's a landmark moment however um jews are you know two jews three opinions and this is where it becomes um, important to understanding each of these groups the three groups that ellie spoke about yesterday were a lot more complex the neologues which is sort of compared to reform is probably a lot more comparable to what we call conservative jury in america they they did not want to change things too radically they were okay with the general picture, just the stuff that's bothersome, smoothed out a bit. So so, so the neolog, the neolog community was more like conservative community. They did not go for the extreme reformed Germans type of thing. Like I said before, it was not an intellectual movement. It was a movement based more on just kind of to be with it, easy, pleasant, and so on. And some of them were actually, um, people who were orthodox in practice, but just felt that it's important to keep the youth, the way conservative, there were some orthodox rabbis who were conservative rabbis, and they felt they, they, they justified it on the fact that, listen, you have to be realistic. So the neologs themselves were from people that were kind of half assimilated, to people that sort of were traditional, and even very traditional. The status quo we spoke about is interesting. Status quo people who joined neither of these two groups and they set a plague on both houses will manage without formal why. So the the most surprising group of people who did not go along with the Orthodox were the extreme Hasidim. The Hasidim did not partake in that Orthodox group. The Orthodox founded a, a rabbinate they had an office in in in, uh, in Budapest they actually had a real structure they had a bureaucracy they had you know a, a, a chief executive it really functioned like a revenue the hasidim did not join big time and 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 there was a lot of harsh feelings like you you people in time of need didn't come in why did the hasidim not join first of all they mistrusted any organization. And they still do. In other words, Babov does not belong to as Yisrael. And Ger is the only one that does, because what do you mean you're going to have a superstructure above our Rebbe? Our Rebbe is no one is telling us what to do. So they did not like that. Two, they did not like structure. They're just, you know, if you ever have a you know that, it, it's, it, they did not like the idea that I want to do something in my shtetl and somebody in Budapest tells me what to do. And um, they, they, you know, they also mistrusted the same way like in Aguda, because the minute you become a, 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 an official body, you have to meet people, goyim, um, representatives, government, You have to act with a little more restraint. You have to be a little more um, political. You have to be able to compromise in time of need. They were not capable of doing that. And therefore, where there was Munkach, where there was Satma, they wanted to have no part of it. This is very similar to something like, you know, it's today. Besides that gooder, the reason why the right wing, in other words, the, the Eid Achredes does not join a uh, pile like a good, besides disagreeing vehemently be on some core issues, they are not willing to subjugate themselves to a group of Rabbanim. The Eid Achredes is only a conscious organization. They will not set policy, and, and uh, as at best sees the Eid Achredes as a vassal of theirs, not, not as, as them being a subgroup of it. And that weakened it tremendously. That was one reason. A second reason, and we'll, we'll, well see- What was the The Orthodox, because a big chunk, these Hasidim, did not belong to that Orthodox group. Two, the, the, um, or the what? Or the they were sort of the Ksav Sofa's children. You, well, we'll get to it in a second. The leader of that group was nominally the Ksav Sofa, some Sofa's son. The Maram Shik was I, the biggest Talmud of Sofa. they were the leaders of that group, and they had actually some very capable people, couple Reich and Frankel. they had some very capable people running office. And I, I give an example of a situation, it's a little bit of a rough example, but I heard this from someone who was there personally. I had a neighbor of mine in, in Arzabira, my next door neighbor, grew up in Hungary, his grandfather was one of the greatest rabbinim in Hungary, um, his, he, he himself learned by Satmar He got smich of Satmarav, and then he became a, a Zionist, and, and and he headed a, a, a one of the one of the units in the in the war in Jerusalem. So he's a I liked a very smart man, a very astute person. And he told me that when Franz Josef passed away, Rabbi Friedman, the Likuta Mariach, very chasem said a Hesper about him. He was not keen on saying a hespin. He was a big canoe man, and, and it wasn't but he had to. So he said, you know, Josef was a guy, he was king. They say it was good for the Jews. Now we pay good. I hope everything will keep getting good. The word pagan, for those who are not familiar, it's a very crude Jewish word, meaning akin to dropping dead. It got out into the news, in the press, there was they were, they were gonna lynch people. And the head of the of of the Orthodox rabbi had to do damage control like crazy. And finally when they were able to explain, they didn't translate it right, they misheard, they didn't, they didn't have those days videos or tweets and so they could able finally he, he then called him in and he said, You know, it's a it's a it's a nace that we're able to get things under control. You've got to be careful what you what comes out of your mouth next time. And he answered him, I was born and raised. A tzaddik is nostalgic, a yid is lifter and a great pagus. Stop with your modern shtick. So so the dissonance between those two type of mentalities didn't didn't allow for that type of structure. So they were antagonistic to it to a big degree. Now so so they were part of the they weren't they, they were status quo just because they didn't want to join anything. There were Jews who didn't like the power. That was wielded by the Orthodox. They were okay with a lot of things. They just didn't want somebody else to, to rule over them. They felt they're going to push their own kids, and whatever it is, sort of political reasons. And there were some people that had a bit of a milder, you know, they wanted a bit more of a modern Yiddishkeit, something like modern Orthodox, and they didn't want that. So, so those were groups of people that did not align with the Orthodox. So you had the Master of the Hasidim, who had plenty of fights with themselves. we will speak a little bit about. The, the unique Hasidus in Hungary, in Hungary. you had the neologues who ranged from being extreme reform to being mostly conservative, and the orthodox, which was something like Germanized chassam sofa, and we'll speak more when we get to chassam sofa, but I want to try to um, give a sense of that. It was not defined. The chassam sofa's legacy was people should be very firm. They had a positive view of people who knew other things also. In other words, the chassam had given haskamis on books of as far as dictuk. Somebody translated science books into into Hebrew. As long as you were very firm and preferably in an autodidact, they were they were very respectful. It, it was considered a mark of honor that you knew other things also. They did not want it to be taught in schools. First of all, they were very wary of restructuring a school. Secondly, they did not want teachers who, were, who really were bad influences to influence the kids. They were, they were very right about that. But... but the day the, you're saying is the, that's called the ordealite? Yeah, with the ordealite, we, we, right. we will... They were some sofas, Tomidim and Talmidet Talmidim. They were the ones that the official Yes. And so they had a bit, in that group itself, you had a not complete, a not complete um, disregard for somebody who's well-rounded, as opposed to chassidim who had no regard for that, that was one. There was a second aspect of that group. They had it into the chassidim for not keeping halacha perfectly well. They were annoyed with davening late. They were annoyed with some other stuff. And they were not enamored. They they begrudgingly were willing to accommodate them. But there was tension. It started with some sofa. They felt we can forgive them for doing wrong, but they're doing wrong. The Hasidim didn't take kindly to that description. And that's why there was a tension there also. Within the Orthodox group, something fascinating happened. Sam Sofa passed away in 39, 1839. There was a vacuum of leadership. And in 1850, somebody named Rebbe Hildesheimer became the head of the Orthodox group. Rebbe Hildesheimer was probably closer to YU today than, than to, than to Yeshiva Yeshivas. He was a huge Shamed Chacham. He was a very Hushua person he was extremely learned and he would go on to head the rabbinical seminary in Berlin which which is fascinating so here you have the head of the orthodox in Hungary who would later become the head of a a, 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 a yeshiva university in Berlin and he was he, he was a person who felt we need to modernize he was very firm very stark but we need to really modernize it. and for about 10 years he was sort of the recognized head people did not um, people, you know, people respected him, but they did not like his leadership. A fascinating, I, I want to tell a little anecdote about Israel, Hildesheimer. He, he was in Budapest, and a, um, a, uh, a, a rough from one of the Kanora towns, one of the t- towns that was big Kanoi, came to, to Budapest for an eye operation, and he helped him a lot, he was very so he said, Rav Hildes, I, so this Rab spoke to the learning and was very impressed with him. He said, Hildesheimer, you're such a common but I must tell you that many rabbonim s- sit and wonder how somebody as chacham as Hildesheimer wastes his time studying philosophy and other stuff. How is he mevatel Torah? So he says, I'm not mevatel any Torah, but the time of the day that that you're allowed to spend wondering why this Hildesheim is wasting his time. That's when I study philosophy. So so, so, so that's the type of, of time that that I that, that I spend. That he, he was very very you know he, he gave it back there was an orthodox seminary in Ber- in Berlin it was the most from seminary in Germany it was the firmest in 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 Hungary it's imp- it's implausible it's impossible to imagine it existing as being Orthodox it was a, it was a it was a yeshiva where they they lectured on philosophy and other things very from it was it was kind of a very from version of the university but that's what it was it was a seminary so was the there- was it? Yeah. what? Was it? Yeah. no but but there was a lot of reception first was also um, Hungarian. There, there was an overlap because of Austro Hungary, it, it was sort of an overlap. In 1860, a more canonistic group, people more to the right of the Sofers, took over the Orthodoxy and became extremely dominant. There are two people I want to mention, three people. There was somebody named Haim Sofer, who was not related to some Sofer a fiery kanoi he was the rabbi Munkach He got into fights with the Munkach Rebbe about his not keeping Halacha the way he saw fit and he was a firebrand no compromise and there was somebody called Rabbi Kiba Yosef Schlesinger and Rahil Kalmai Rahul Kalmai was a talman was, was who were extreme kanoi they tossed out the Hildesheimer, took over the body and moved it to the extreme right this has a very fascinating end to it. Rabbi Kiba Yosef Schlesinger, went, he, he was a big Hanoi. He said, Kutzlar, it's bad. So firstly, he wrote a sefer called Lever Ivry, a, a Kanoznik, work against everything wrong with the reform, with, this, with, with Hungary and so on. He made Aliyata, at Israel. And he was an interesting person. He pictured a country where you divide up the land with groups of people. 10% of people would be sitting out learning, everybody else would be farming, once a month, you know, every month a different group would do army service, and so on and so forth. He wore tcheilas, he wanted to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah Shabbos, because he held be allowed to, and the kanoim Mishalayim destroyed him. They, they, they took his his tcheilas talis and they tore it to pieces. They the, His own father-in-law Chai himself wrote back to his father in law and, and he told his father in law that you should know his son in law has gone off the derech. Take away every penny that he has because he's busy buying land at Yisrael. And and you know who knows what can happen with that. So he was disowned by his own family and he died a pretty much a lonely person. It was a, it's a fascinating chapter. He was a very original person, He Was very he, original person. He actually—it <laughs> was a time when he had become very modern and Germanized, and then he, he sort of boomeranged back and he became one. So, in that group, in in that in, in that um, Orthodox group, they actually um, had their own factions from people who, who wanted tactically to do to, to change things to people who believed some organizations are the world, to people who later became carnoimous and all of it is bad. What happened So, so with, with the war, with 1940, with with the war, basically it all ended. Now, of the groups, as time went on... Which war? What? 14? Yeah, so, so as time went on, the following things happened. This is, Ellie mentioned yesterday, which is also very interesting the Hasidim became stronger and stronger. Um, just they, they, they had larger families, they, the, the, the groups grew. There was infighting and so on, but, but each group became, they became bigger and larger. The Zionism became a strong force and and the, and the sort of, I guess, I don't know if they, the, the, neolog is just a catchword, word, but Germany, Hungary had a lot of non-religious um, sort of traditional people or people affiliated with Zionism or something, that was group. The orthodoxy froze and and it doesn't exist. You know, some sofa's legacy as such basically ceased to exist as a group of people. I mean, we'll speak about his legacy in, in a bigger term, but but that group ceased to exist. They sort of, most of them folded into Hasidim. They became non-denominational of sorts and, and today there is nobody in the shul over here where we davened last night, it's a holdout because they davened with One of Samsonov's big battles was against Avigdor Spira, and 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 that's a holdout. But they were really in the state, and it's interesting to try to understand why these different groups succeeded, didn't succeed, and so on. Um, you know, the question was what would have been ideal, which is which is a, a hypothetical question. Nobody knows. Nobody can answer. Um, the fact that they split so strongly and they made a very clear demarcation um, is seen as having saved whatever orthodoxy there was. Um, And the truth is that Shamsul Hirsch also made that demarcation. The idea that there's a very clear red line of when you cease to be a Shoma Mitzvah. So that piece seemed to have done well. I think... I mean, if I can guess again, it's a, sort of a hazarding a guess as why the, the Chassidim were a lot more successful and we'll speak about Chassidim later on it's because A. They had charismatic leadership whereas when the Samsofa passed away they no longer had a person that was a leader it became an organization it became sort of a structure but there wasn't a person that was drawing people like Samsova. Sofa that's a problem almost by definition, had a leadership, a strong leader, and that sort of made the seen or or, or or broken, and also I think they had a more <coughs> positive, what are we, we are Satma. we're something, the orthodox is defines itself what we're not, yeah. in other words, basically, we're not neologians. we there wasn't a very strong positive message, it was more about what you don't do, than what you do. do. Part of the picture of, and this has to do with the San legacy, was, what do you do with issues that are not halacha issues, but they're more a trend? And this is what we spoke about. The changes they wanted, most of them, certainly the earlier groups, were very careful to stay within halacha, because they didn't want the opposition. What do you do when it's clear that a group is trying to move in the wrong direction, but they're not doing anything wrong per se. Do you make an isher or not? What happens if everybody decides to get dressed in shul with their favorite football team's uniform? Do you find an it or not? Making a hoop in a shul has no real isher to it. But the reason they made it was to look like a church. So, So what do you do with it? So the, the, the part of the, those the, the orthodox principles was not once they recognized that all of these changes were preludes for, for for some real fundamental change. You know, once you get everybody to look like a guy, sound like a guy, you know, act like a guy, then, then being a guy is just another step down. So the sense was stop the ball when it's beginning to titter rather than when it's when it's going downhill. There were moderates, like Israel Hill said, that said, that's stupid. You're defending a fort that you don't need to defend at a heavy price, losing people that you can accommodate if the ball rolls a little bit lower, and, and for no reason. And and that was part of that still today, I would say is very much um, the issue in the broad Orthodox community. What do you do when you recognize a trend that's maybe coming from a desire to be more like everybody else? but it will allow you to accommodate more people, it will allow you to be more pragmatic in, in what you can do in the world, or do you just say not? And I, I, I think for some people this works, some people this works and this works. But, but so, so, so the history of reform and, and Germany and in Hungary and the response to it, I think are relevant to this very day. The, the real question of um, middle ground always has a problem. It's easy to be fanatical and extreme on both extremes. It's hard to be extreme in the middle. It's hard to have that charge. We want to be middle of the roads, committed middle of the road. Is, it doesn't work well. It's much easier to be you know, extreme of events. On the other hand, um, you see something like a kanos eats itself up. You know, a, a, a Schlesinger was a kanoi here and was destroyed by kanoim there. So it's a fascinating piece of history. Um, you know Canoz devours itself because there's no there's no end to it it' sort of it, it, um, it, it eats itself up <inaudible> but <inaudible> <inaudible> yes but almost by definition you know um I, I guess I can f- conclude this there's a version of Salva he said once from his father Moshe Marha that I think it's very relevant he said it says when Hashem created Adam, went around and yes, he consulted the four angels. The angel of kindness said, yes, create Adam because they're kind. The angel of peace says, no way, people are gonna make wars, don't create men. The angel of stucker said, yes, create people, they give tzedakah. And the angel of truth said, um, don't create man because they're very deceptive. Sashem so took the angel of truth, tossed them overboard. You know, we've heard a pack in the Supreme Court. This is unpacking the Supreme Court and it was two to one vote, and we're around because it had two to one vote. It's a measure. Yeah, right. it's, yeah, it's Chazal, <laughs> very It's <nice>, Chazal. this <laughs> so, so the veld says, the Kotzka says on it, why did he throw over the angel of truth? And his answer was, because if truth is against you, no matter how many people have on your side, you still lose. So he had to get rid of truth. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting, but Jav said from his father, a really, really insightful part. He said, it's not true. People can be peaceful and people can be people of truth. The two together is where it's impossible. True and peaceful. Yes. In other words, as much as people are willing to compromise, they can get along. As much as people are sticking to their guns, they have a harder, harder getting along. Reaching that sweet point where truth and 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 peace get along, that's human difficulty. So, I, I guess that's part of the, of the lesson of it. And we still, what, I think everything we have today is sort of a replica of it in a, in a large form, in a different form, but it's, it's all part of it. Any questions, any points? Yeah, but see, what you're saying about applying it today, you yeah. know, if someone would want to say no, it's going too far. I mean, who, who is that? Someone, it's only. What do you what mean, mean someone say no? If you say, who is the person to say no in, in our world? It's only a Roshiva or a so, so, so let's, yeah. so let's, let's take something very contemporary. You have an issue like technology, modern technology, internet, like smartphone, etc. So, you know, everyone everyone admits that there are problems with it. So one solution is ban it. And, um, Who would ban it? How would they enforce it? Well, there's no lack of people to, to print up notices. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the... My my my, my brother in law is a, a Kalbach, he told me that the the Yekis, the, the Breuer killer, were very anti Zionist. Roshan Forrest was also anti, you know, creating a state and so on. And the Rabbits in Breuer once walked through the waiting room and somebody swung a Zionism. And she said, Zionism? It still exists? The rabbi has long ago forbidden it strictly. <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's it, the question is so you can deal with it by by just stopping it. You know, there, there were things, I, I mean, and, and the truth is, there, there were things that were dealt with that way in, in America, you know, it, it, it make, establishing yeshivas the way they are, was going against a lot of tide, but, um, so exactly, TV. F- yeah, F- except F- that there's a very big difference, you know, TV you can do without, movies you can do without, right, yeah. you, you like can't example, do without, yeah. What's an example of something where, let's say, the Buddha said no, and it was Miskaya? And it was? And it was Miskaya. So, it it, it lasted. It it lasted. I don't know. There are occasionally issues, I I don't know. And that's what, good has the same problem. It's an organization. And once you have an organization, it doesn't have the clout in a community um, where you have a very strong leader, or a very charismatic leader then people follow, and, and when you have just an organization, and people get together, and they make decisions, TV not a bad example, a kind of example. Yeah. so there was no, all right, but still, TV was, it never came about because they signed, it. Yes, sir. it was something that was, you know, it, 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 your Rebbe spoke against it, you, you, you were considered a pariah, if you had a TV, so, so it, social pressure, it, it, for, it, it's, it's, in those, in those days when TV was still an issue, she was interested in getting kids. It wasn't like today, where are you know it's the other way around. There was a it was a a, a buyers market in those days. Today it's a, a but uh, um, and and you know it's 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 uh, why why couldn't the Orthodox Orthodox make as their thing to be for learning Torah. Like in, like in, Lita. so that's in, see that's what I'm saying. In Lita, Lita. The, the force that changed things was learning. It, it was the mentality of society, learning and being very good at learning was something that spoke to the people. Okay. Hungary was a very wild, bad, the shared world. You respected a big hamchacham, but the joy of learning, thinking ideas, it was very different. And that's why the Haskell What? The Lithuanian no. Jewry were intellectual. What, they were. No, the Lithuanian Jewry was be, simpler like than simpler. Like, what? They couldn't get people. They're They couldn't get them It wasn't learning. They, they didn't have that mentality. The, the mentality was to be erlich, to be from. It was like a German mentality. Proper, right. Those were words that spoke to them. The typical German Kehilla, the typical uh, Oberlander Kehilla, prided itself on being a, a, a um, somebody who's very proper, somebody who does the right things, somebody who's responsible. Those were the things that they, they, they tried themselves. I said over last year, what, you know, my father was Lithuanian, and the type, when you wanted to speak about somebody highly, the, the terms in, in the order were, this person is, is an aristocrat, highly intelligent, and strongly religious, the, the, the order was aristocratic bearings was I don't know what that is, but but that was considered to be I, I was never used, to it. <laughs> it, but but it, you know, and then being very smart was very important, and and you know, in and, and, and in Hungary, being stark about the Yiddishkeit was important, you know, keeping things stark and doing things responsibly, and it, it, a different mentality, um, the way the way that by Hasidim being very fiery and fake was was it was was it the, the, the that that was their mentality, that was the gay thirty So they status quo. There were there were they, the, the, so it's hard you know, it's it, he asked about if the famous Rob were or neo-logs. It there were surprises. it, 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 it seems like today there's no way you could mix up a reform rabbi, an orthodox rabbi, except for Purim, maybe. But you know, otherly other, there's no way you could say he, he was in the Aguda of of, of Midwood till 19, uh, you know, till 1998, and then he took on a job in Temple Bethel. It, 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 it's not something we could think of. You have to understand that in in, in, in Hungary, you had Reb and you'll see the pictures of them who looked like you couldn't pick him out of a group. And one day, they basically said. We've got to change everything. Right. And... You wouldn't recognize them because they came pariahs. But there was no... There were, all, even Chorin, Iron Chorin, was a rough that some sofa had written, Askama. They, they, they were abundant that was still somewhere in the middle, and they could go either direction with enough pressure. It's, it's something we can't relate to. It, it's unthinkable for us that somebody could could, could make that change. But, but there was. <coughs> Germany... In Germany, it was mostly secular kind of people who had become masculine, who then became rabbis. There was a period of sort of casting off everything and then and then becoming whatever it is. In Hungary, you had people that just at the at the at this rabbinic conference you spoke about, where the orthodox formed, one of the heads of the conference said he insists they bring the rabbi of Pesch in, Rabbi Schwab never looked at each other, why is he being Rabbi Schwab? But he insisted, he's not He's not willing to stay unless Rabbi Schwab comes, Rabbi Schwab came, and he said yes, we need to have secular schools for our kids, we need to this and that, like everything they were against. And they basically just walked out. And it was it, 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 hard to understand, but that's, that's what it was. It's I could have didn't it didn't come into being until there were Aguda it did not come into being until 1900s early 1900s they modeled themselves there were two or three models similar to them in different in in different communities they they were, they, didn't, they, they lived apart from all of that politics Hungary had its own life they didn't need Russian Polish politics so there, there was a handful of Hungarians there were not many hungarians it wasn't Hey. What? <laughs> yeah, that's true also. They I mean they felt that they had succeeded. They felt that the Polish jury and Lithuanian jury had gone down the drain. They they were not religious, the vast majority. We we're holding our own and they, you know so you're saying that even with the Yellow Sumerian jury on a higher religious level than the majority of Polish And yes, but not not necessarily because they were better. I mean I guess they're they're it just didn't interest them. The Polish Jew, my uncles, my mother's brothers, were diehard communists, uh, Buddhistim. But you know, as a young kid, I was scared of them. When I got older, I would talk to them, and I realized they had a story. They were bitter and angry. It, it came about because life was rough. They had a lot of anger towards the higher classes, and rabbanim were lumped with those classes. Um, you have to understand. I mean, in these communities, this is another. There was a sore point. The leaders of the community were the very wealthy, like all third world countries. Um, they, they, they did, it wasn't a middle class. So you had the people. Ninety percent of the people on the taking end, and five percent on the giving end. And they wanted to have ninety-five percent of the vote, and you at their mercy. So. When the more religious people were in seats of power, the the other people felt disenfranchised. They don't care about us. They don't care that we're walking around barefoot and hungry. Yeah, their their big stomachs with the big gartel around it. No, all of that talk, all of the stuff in our scholar books is anger and hatred. And then when these powerful people became leaders of communities like in Hungary, they tossed out their bottom they didn't like that made their life miserable and brought in the that made life more comfortable. The, the, the concentration of power because they, they were dependent on, you know, it's, it's still like that in, in a more modern community. Let's say the school is supported 40-50% by parents and tuitions and local people, people giving smaller donations, have enough to support some infrastructure. In a Hasidic community, there's five wealthy people that hold out the moisters and everybody else goes for free. So, so you have an extraordinary concentration of wealth and power, and and bitterness. You know, it's it, 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 sometimes yes, sometimes not. You know, but but you get that that. Uh, so they were so, so they were very anti in Lithuania and in Russia, people were intellectual, and and they got into. It's, so it's because of who they were that they were so anti-religious. Hungary never had those elements. Life was better. It was more it was it was more comfortable. Was this? It, it wasn't. They weren't wealthy, but they were much a more calm life than 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 the Polish and, and the Russian for sure and Lithuanian. So and, and they were not that intellectual and they were not into social justice. It was different. It was a different I world. what?